If you or someone you know is struggling with alcoholism or addiction, do not hesitate to reach out for help. You can find numerous free resources on our website, thebeginagainpodcast.com, and there are tons of resources and support networks available online, in person, or just a phone call away. You don't have to face this challenge alone. Welcome to the Begin Again Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Menkes. On the Begin Again Podcast, we delve into the inspiring journeys of individuals who have overcome alcoholism and addiction and emerged as true trailblazers in entrepreneurship, business, sports, and beyond. Through authentic, uplifting, and profound conversations with our guests, we aim to shatter the stigma surrounding addiction and demonstrate that recovery can be a catalyst for remarkable success, strength, and resilience. We firmly believe that by listening to these accounts, you will be empowered to unlock your own potential, instigate positive change in your life, and contribute to the creation of a better world. So, get ready to be inspired and embark on your own personal journey of growth with the Begin Again podcast. Welcome back to the Begin Again podcast. I'm your host, Gary Menkes. And today, it is a real pleasure. I am really looking forward to this. We have Michael Mothin, otherwise known as M2 The Rock. As Michael achieved great success as one of the most sought-after luxury home builders, a drug and alcohol addiction led him down a destructive path. 27 arrests and a bout with homelessness later. It wasn't until a nearly four-year jail sentence that he could finally see clearly. There was not just one rock bottom, but many. Today, M2 The Rock draws from Michael's personal experiences and uses his magnetic, relatable personality to inspire others to guide and empower you through this transformative journey, demonstrating that your rock bottom can be the stepping stone to a life of fulfillment and purpose. And as Michael says it so perfectly, your rock bottom becomes the turning point when you declare, I am ready to change. I love that quote, man. I really do. And thank you so much for being here, Michael. I, it means the world to me, and I'm so excited to to talk to you today. Gary, thank you so much. And um, from all of us here at Into the Rock, we support what you're doing. I've been looking at your stuff since we first met and you reached out, and I applaud you. And from all of us here, like I said, at Into the Rock, we really support and endorse what you're doing, and we appreciate you. That means the world to me. You know, as you know, I'm fairly new to this podcast world. I'm not sure how the word podcast even got into my vocabulary, uh, but here I am. And to hear you say those words, it means a lot. It means I'm on the right path. And, you know, this very quickly became a lot bigger than me, like immediately. And there's a higher purpose here. And you speak a lot about your higher purpose. So tell us, how did we get here? Man, it was a it was a journey, you know. Um you know, when I go into the rooms of support group meetings, um, and I don't wave any flag for any support group meeting uh, to protect the anonymity of these programs, which I highly respect. I, I announce myself in these meetings that, you know, hi, I'm Michael. I'm a drug addict, alcoholic. And, and the reason why we say those in those meetings is is for the newcomer to feel safe that they're in the right room, you know, that, that they, they feel that connection and, and feel safe and, you know, they're not an outcast. But that's not who I am today. You know, that's not who I am today. I, I, I'm in recovery. I'm a recovered a drug addict, alcoholic. And as a result of the 12-step program, um, support group meetings, and, a, and an incredible sponsor, um, I get to live this life of being happy, joyous, and free today. But, mm-hmm. you know, to address your question is, you know, when we share our story, we share about, you know, what it was like, you know, what happened and what it's like today. And we briefly talked on the phone earlier, you know, 
what it was like, you know, I'm no different than any other drug addict alcoholic. You know, I drank alcohol. I did drugs. I fell down. I woke up the next day and um, said, I'm never going to do this again. Um, and I meant it. I meant it with, you know, every ounce of blood in my body. And then I would get drunk and high that night. You know, I just need one, you know, just to taper off, to level out, you know, mm -hmm. um, and I'll just, you know, wean off of this. Um, and I could never do it. And, you know, I just didn't know why I was doing the things I was doing. And, you know, in 2002, at the time, I had a lot of money and, you know, was successful, like you said. And and I was a good person. You know, we're good people. You know, it's not about getting good. It's about getting well, you know, mm -hmm. in recovery. And, you know, in 2002, I went to um, uh, to Betty Ford. Um, and, and the reason why I don't say treatment and I say Betty Ford, because that's where important people like me go. You know, that's how selfish and self-centered I was. And so I wanted to go to where, you know, the best went. My counselor there said, you know, you'll never get this program until you do step three. You'll never experience sobriety until you make that decision to turn your will and life over to the care of God as you understand him. And I was out. I didn't want to hear that word. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't want to hear the G word. And when I left Betty Ford, they, they simply told me, you know, they gave me some literature and go to meetings and work these 12 steps and get a sponsor. Men work with men. Women work with women, which is very important. And I heard them. Uh, I got home to a, a housewarming party. And when everybody left, um, you know, immediately fear crept in and resentments crept in. And I was off to the races again in 2002. In 2017, you know, I miraculously re released from prison. And, you know, they told me the same thing as Betty Ford did. Go to meetings, uh, work the steps uh, and get a sponsor. Um, so I made that choice and decision to do that. Um, and here I am today. You talk about the fear and resentment you had when you come home to that to that housewarming party, right? What are the fear and resentments that were the driving that were really at the forefront? Well, you know, I, I tried to figure the program out. You know, I tried to because I'm I think I'm smart, you know, and, and I got it all together. And I'm not like, you know, the guy who's on on the street homeless, you know, alcoholic. I was kind of that guy. I was like, you know, that's not me yet. You know, you're eligible too. But these words that were used all the time, I didn't know what they really meant. You know, like what is fear? Uh, what is resentment? What is forgiveness? All these words that we hear. uh but did I really know what it meant? And and I actually did a show um, on fear, and it's part of my presentation. And and fear, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for my faith to grow, or it's an opportunity for me to be self-will run riot. And you know, mm -hmm. fear, if you break it down to an acronym, and an acronym is where each letter stands for a word, it's it's false evidence appearing real, you know, mm -hmm. it's not real. And there is a solution to fear. And, and I didn't know that because it's such a simple solution. But if I don't do anything, Gary, with the with the feeling of fear, it turns into a resentment. Mm -hmm. and, and resentment is the number one offender. It's killing the nation. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's killing every human being. We're all addicts. You know, we're all addicts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a stigma with drug addiction and alcoholism because our, our consequences are so severe and our actions are so severe. Um, if I don't do anything with the feeling of resentment, then it turns into anger. If I don't do anything with the feeling of anger, it turns into rage. And if I don't do anything with the feeling of rage, it turns into isolation. If I don't do anything with isolation, then it turns into paranoia. Mm. And that paranoia is very dangerous where a, a simple text, if I send a, 
you know, my other half saying I love you and they don't respond back, you know, I get down to paranoia that she's leaving me and, um, you know, no one likes me. And, um, and I wake up in jail again with needles sticking out of my arm and mm. not realizing, you know, why all this happened. So the solution to fear before it gets to a resentment is to simply talk about it, you know, and that's where a, a sponsor or a mentor comes in because, because before I'd had these simple fears, I'm like going, I just brush it off. Like, you know, I got to shake out of it. You know, I, I'm thinking crazy. Nobody else thinks this way and they do. Um, but I call my sponsor and say, listen, I, I sent this text and, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, he'll say, well, the problem is, is that you had expectations when you send the text. You didn't, you didn't ask a question. You just said, I love you. You know what I mean? And you're mm -hmm. expecting this novel to come back about how great you are. Uh, and it sets me up for, for a resentment. So yeah, that's how I broke down fear. And, and it's really relatable to everybody. And, you know, that's what I want to do at Into the Rock is, is make it relatable to, you know, everybody, because we are all addicts, you know, we're, we're addicted to visible things to try to fix my invisible problems. I love that. You say so much there, you know, I didn't know I had, I've looked up the definition of those words of fear and of resentment. When I came into the program, I didn't know what they were either. You yeah. know, I read, I read in the book, I read what they were and it, I, I wasn't really grasping it to be honest with you. And then I read a, a definition on resentment and it was, it was, could be something is something that just irks you just a little bit or just pisses you off just a little bit. I'm like, well, whoa, I got a whole, I got pages and pages and pages of those. Right. Uh, but I love what you say about fear too. Like, you know, when I was out there, Michael, I, I had it in my mind. I wasn't afraid of anything. And I kind of went out that way and you, at least that was that was the outside. I didn't realize until I got sober and in recovery that I had afraid of everything. I could put fear, I could put pinpoint fear to almost everything in my life. You know, uh, even to this day, I have to work. I have to work to it. And one of my favorite quotes, though, uh, that I learned in the rooms was, "You can't live in faith and fear at the same time." So it's one of the other. So when I am in fear. I sometimes need to step back, maybe do a little prayer and just turn things over. Step three to my higher power. And I'm in a much better place. You know, I could put fear. I'm afraid what Michael's going to think of me. I'm afraid that uh, how this is going to go. I'm afraid of I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. All those, you know, not enoughs, uh, which littered my mind. But what you said, though, also in the acronym is they're not real. No, and they're not real. I, I've also realized that not to put a number on it, but probably really high 90% or so of my fears are projections in the future of things that I'm not going to have, things that are going to happen to me. And my sponsor had said to me one day, I wasted so much time of my life worried about things that never, ever happened to me. And so those are the projections. That's why for me, it's not, it's, I have to get there and it's hard to do, but that's why you need to, for me, speak for myself, really live in today and just in today. And when I'm really there, I'm in a great place. And then I'm filled with gratitude and I'm on that, I'm on the plane I'm supposed to be at, you know, I'm not wired that way though. I don't wake up in the morning, you know, playing with house money, even though I should be, even though we should be. And sometimes I beat myself up for that. Like I can get up really, I find that in our rooms too. Like, we are so good at beating ourselves up, uh, yeah. you know, abnormally. But you said something also about, you know, the uh, keeping the anonymity of the 12-step programs. And I say this a lot as well. Like, 
when you walk into a room or wherever it is, could be an AA meeting. Everyone knows that's how I got sober. I got sober in AA and it saved my life. I, I don't care how you get here at all. But when you walk into a room or Betty Ford or wherever it is, there's no big sign, right? That says, you know, come on in. You can completely change your life here. You know, you, I just went in to stop drinking, but little did I know very slowly I started changing my life and I am a thick headed guy, Michael. So it took me a while to get the God part of it, even though I, you know, even early on, they said, just the meeting could be your higher power, turn it over to the meeting. And I did that. And, but today oh, I start my day in, in prayer and on my knees in prayer, thanking him and gratitude. And that's, that stuff that wasn't, you know, on my radar 17 plus years ago and growing up. And um, like I said, you said so much stuff there. I know there was a, there was an event, I believe when you were uh, incarcerated, right? Can you tell us about that moment? I've seen you out there and I love your content, but can you tell us about what happened there? Yeah. So, you know, after my 27th mugshot, I finally said the most honest thing that I've ever said, you know, that is that we get people, we get, you know, tons of messages and, and people reaching out, you know, to him, to the rock. And it's usually loved ones and family members, you know, Hey, can you help my son? Can you help my daughter? Can you help my husband, wife, woo, 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 all that stuff. And we have an automatic response. And because we've had to set boundaries up in place, you know, we just, we direct them to the website and, and there's resources on the website, you know, where they can get help. But there's someone that I know that's a close friend and, you know, they want me to talk to, you know, their loved one. My, my response is, is that, you know, he can call me, you know, mm-hmm. um, if it is a lady that's going to reach out to call me, I have a boundary in place that I, a disclaimer that I say, you know, I'll talk to you. Uh, but you're going to be on speakerphone with another woman in the room. Do you have a problem with that? So, uh, they don't. And, you know, the direction I go there is to try to get them, uh, you know, connected with another woman, you know, that's in recovery mm-hmm. uh, that can help her. But when I do talk to these men and these ladies, I ask a simple question and I tell them there's a right answer. Uh, and that answer is, you know, why, I, I ask them this question, why do you drink and why do you do drugs? And they always come, you know, back and, and, and explaining. It's my husband, my wife, like a wrong answer. My job, wrong answer. I was abused. I have trauma, wrong answer. And all these things, these questions I'm asking, and they eventually get frustrated, you know, and, and they, and it's, it's good when they start getting frustrated because they go, you know, M2, um, I don't know. I said, that's the right answer. And that's what happened to me that I recognized is that. I finally said, I don't know why I drink. I don't know why I do drugs. I don't know why I'm doing this. And I'm willing to do anything it takes uh, to get clean and sober. And I didn't care how long the judge was going to put me in prison. I just didn't care anymore because for so long, I was trying to get clean and sober my way. You know, I would do all these little things. I'd go to some meetings and all, but I wasn't open-minded and, you know, I had to change everything. You know, I had to change one thing and that's changed everything. So when I said, I don't know, that's when this awakening started to happen. When I was incarcerated the last time, I was very paranoid. I was always pacing. Um, you know, they diagnose you when you come in as far as what your crime is and, you know, put you in the proper tank. And for some reason, you know, they put me in an aggravated assault tank. So I was in this tank with murderers, you know, murderers and, you know, they were doing life. I mean, they had no hope. They weren't going anywhere. And it was rock and roll when I went in there and, you know, I went in there and I'm white and proper and, you know, scary. And mm. when I was in there, my cellmate, which is a celly, uh, was this old guy doing life. Um, his name was Uwe. 
um, you know, he brought me in. He said, um, you know, we, we would be able to get out of our four by nine cell, you know, three to four hours a day, something like that. Wasn't long. And um, we were locked up. And he told me, he said, man, you're doing a hard time and, and you're out in that world. And what that means when you're locked up is you're out in that world thinking about the future and the past and the fear and anxiety is is creeping up. And I'm thinking about what people are thinking about me and all this stuff. And then this, you know, magical day, just as simple as, you know, he asked if I would read to him. I'm like, you know, why? And he says, well, because I can't read. I can't write. Uh, come to find it. No one in the tank could read or write. Um, and I have really cool handwriting and people want me to write letters for them. And then I recognize it like four days go by and I'm, I'm calm and I'm not, I'm at somewhat peace. And I'm thinking about this. I'm like four days just went by and I'm not pacing and moving around. And then on October, um, or in July 7th, 2017, you know, I was in my top bunk asleep and I just woke up and, and I prayed so many times, these stock sulfurs, like, you know, come into my life, save me, you know, change me, help me. And that night, you know, in the middle of the night, I, I, I woke up and I literally couldn't breathe, Gary. I mean, I could not breathe. And there was this tightness in my chest. And, you know, I thought I had having a heart attack, but it wasn't this physical, uncomfortable pain. It was just something different. So I took this deep breath and breathed in. And then I just breathed out. And when I breathed out, all this, you know, anger and resentment and all this stuff is just coming out of my body. And I take this deep breath in. It was like ice water come in. And I was full of just love. And I just loved everybody around me. You know, I was just like, I mean, it was just like this overwhelming feeling. And then I started to realize, not immediately, but as I'm processing all this that's, that's going on, I had this spiritual awakening like no other. And I realized that for the first time by reading to these inmates and, and serving them that I was out of self, you know, and expecting nothing in return. I wasn't like this jailhouse minister or anything like that. It's just people were attracted to me. And I was actually reading, I have a book called Detours written by Dr. Tony Evans, a big pastor here in, in Dallas. And I was reading that and they could really relate to it. And then it led me to the Living Recovery Bible it has 12 steps in it. And I was reading that and these words were no longer black letters on white paper. They were really helping me and I could relate to it. And then the big book started really making sense to me. And then I started getting into history and knowledge and studying it. And when I was locked up, I didn't have this business plan or this, you know, awakening that I was going to be this influencer, speaker, into the rock and all that. Still don't. I mean, you know, this is not what I had planned. And then on October 13th, 2017, uh, I was in transit and I was down in central Texas and I walked into another ag tank and it was rock and roll. You know, I saw people getting killed in front of me. Mm. I was just to myself reading and journaling and an inmate walks up. He says, man, you got really cool handwriting. What's it say? And um, I, I told him what it said. And he goes, well, what are you reading? Because I was, you know, underlining stuff and. I said, well, I'm reading this. He says, will you read it to me? And I said, why? And he says, well, I can't read. And as you know, in the film, there's a short film out there. Um, that's when I looked up at God and I realized for the first time I was looking through God's perspective in our, in the literature that we read from in this 12 step recovery book, it's, um, being rocketed to the fourth dimension. And what that means is that I'm looking at things through God's perspective. You know, the things that were, that don't make sense to me, the things that were done wrong, we look at it through a different perspective and we look at it through God's perspective on what, what he is wanting to happen through that. And so I was looking at it through a different you know, perspective that, you know, I see you, 
I, I know why I'm here and I'm reading to these guys. On October 13, 2017, they um they came over to the speaker and they said, you know, Michael Moulton bunk and junk. And um, I was miraculously released uh, from prison and they literally had to kick me out because I knew it was a technical or even the guards knew it was technical. And they released me as a result of forgiveness. You know, that's when I forgave all the people in my life who had done me wrong. And most importantly, I forgave myself, you know, for the things that I did. And that freedom was so amazing. I'm a Bible guy, you know, it works for me. That's my higher power. And, you know, it says in Matthew 6, 14, 15, it says, this is my translation. When we forgive the ones who have hurt us, God will bless your game. You know, if, if I have a resentment and I'm holding on to it, it blocks us from our destiny. It mm. blocks us from destiny. And once we release that, God will, you know, take us to our destiny. Because I can't help anybody, Gary, if I have a resentment can't help anybody. And I see that a lot in people with early recovery. You know, step one, we admit we're powerless over alcohol and their life's unmanageable. And it kind of feels good. And we go to step 12 and we get addicted to the feeling of helping people. You know what I mean? Mm. But we can't help anybody if we can't answer the question, this is why I drink and why I did drugs. As a result of that, I got set free and traveled 300 miles and, and, um, and Judge Bennett you know, set me free. And she says, you know, go pay it forward. And local media got a hold of it. And it's just been nonstop ever since for the last six years. So unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. Incredible. Right. But it's tough. It's this is tough. I mean, it's it's um, I live the life, you know, I'm transparent. You know, I, I, I tackle tough topics. You know, if I'm if I've been struggling, I'll share that on the platform, you know, but when I'm struggling, I also provide the solution. This is how I'm working through it today. And that helps others. Can you put a finger on like your, which I'll go back to your quote, which I love your rock bottom becomes the turning point when you declare I'm ready to change. Can you put a finger on your, yeah, I can. Um, you know, I realized that, you know, that's another thing, you know, hit rock bottom. What does that mean? You know what I mean? And I would even say, you know, all the times of, you know, crashing and burning. I said, I finally hit my bottom. You know, it's over. You know, what got me to rock bottom, Gary, were my character defects. Okay. Mm -hmm. It was, it wasn't the drinking and drugging. It was resentment and anger and rage and isolation and the paranoia, uh, revenge, morbid reflection, self-pity. That got me to rock bottom. That's the only tools I ever knew. You mm -hmm. know, that's, that's all I knew. So I would use those tools to get out of rock bottom. You know, I would I would have resentment and anger and and rage fuel me to make the comeback. You know what I mean? The Rocky music would play, and I said, you know, I'm I'm coming back. I'm gonna prove you wrong. Mm. I am going to prove you wrong. And so I would use those same character defects to get out of rock bottom. So in recovery and in, in this disease and for all of us, you know, people would say, you know, Michael, we see this cycle in you, right? Mm -hmm. You have a cycle. It's so predictable. It made me so mad inside. You know, I, I understood, but I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to understand what this cycle was. This last time when I hit rock bottom, I finally realized it was the same rock. I mean, it was the same rock every time I hit it. And I realized that the rock at the bottom and all these times was God, right? It was God. So I made the choice to stay at rock bottom, to stay next to the rock and have men in recovery, godly men, pull me out of the bottom. 
and God worked through these men to get me out of, starting with the inmates that I was locked up with. God used these men to pull me up slowly. And it started with just simply reading to an illiterate man who murdered someone, intentionally murdered someone uh, to get out of self. And it, it slowly got me out of the bottle. Unbelievable. And you said back before, which I love your solution to fear is speaking about it, is talking it out, is sharing things. And that's that simple. Right. And, you know, I could speak for myself and I'm sure you didn't grow up that way. Like, you know, you can't say a word to anyone. You keep everything bottled in. You know, if you speak out, you're a weak man. You don't share what's going on. You don't share yeah. feelings, you know, man up, tough up. It's all BS. None, you know, all of it is BS. And you kind of mentioned we were touching upon, you know, and, and I say for myself, I was given this gift of an open mind. Like I know nothing. I really, yeah. I thought I knew everything and I tried to do everything my way. And it wasn't until I, you know, I turned everything over and I surrendered. And when some, you know, strange guy came up and said, Hey man, give me a call tomorrow. Here's my number. When every instinct in my body is to tell him to get the fuck out of here. Like, you mm -hmm. know, you're talking to the wrong guy. When I was given that gift of, I don't know anything. These guys are sober. It makes no sense, but I'm going to call this guy tomorrow just because he told me to. And that was, you know, that's, I call it the, for me, you know, given this gift of an open mind, you say it's so you articulate it so amazingly, actually your whole solution to fear, but each, every step to it, to anger, to rage, to isolation, to paranoia. I'm the same way too. You know, I, I, you send a text message, you know, sometimes then this is new too. You know, I have to ask myself, what is the outcome I am? What am I really after by sending this text message? You know, and sometimes you got to step back because it's my ego that wants something in return by this text message, even though it's masked in a very, you know, nice message, right? Like, I love you, like you had said, using your right. own example, but you really want something back. And that's my ego. That's my self-centered ego. And ego, I love this term, uh, this um, acronym too, is edged God out. It is pushing right. away and it's just putting Gary into focus. And when I know I am right where I'm supposed to be and my higher power, it has me right where I'm supposed to be. That's when I'm best place. That's right. You know, and, and that's why talking about it, you know, there's a difference between being scared and fear. It's a big difference. Okay. Mm -hmm. The guy sitting here has a gun to my head. That's scared, you know, because that's really happening. Uh, fear is a whole different animal because it, it just doesn't exist. And, mm -hmm. and that's why just simply talking about it, um, you know, just snaps me out of it that, okay, this is not real. I mean, I'm tripping, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm future tripping and, and for a long time, and I'd get in fear of what it is that I'm going into the future alone in my head, right? Mm -hmm. um, I didn't like that feeling, Gary. So I would try to fix it in my brain, you know? And so I would shift the view. And what I would do is I would go to the past, try to make that feeling go away. But when I would go into the past, I would feel anger and rage, depression, you know? Mm -hmm. And we start, you know, we battle with depression and it's mental health. Um, all these things. And I didn't like that feeling. So I would go back to the future. I did this game back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until I eventually took that drink and it would give me that sense of ease and comfort. A euphoria is what it was. And it would lie to me and said, I'm in the now. It mm. was I'm like, okay, ooh, okay, I'm right here right now. So how would I stay there? I would do more. I would do more to shut the noise down, you know, and that's how I would stay in the now. And then as I was drinking and doing drugs, I was creating chaos. I was creating it. So I would drink more and more and more to avoid this chaos that, that I was creating. But I didn't realize I played a role in it. And it's this vicious disease where we end up 
incarcerated, you know, and, yeah. um, you know, are at rock bottom. And so that's where this, and everybody feels this way. There's no such thing as a normal person. Everybody feels this way. And that is our mission at M2 The Rock. We are all addicts. Mm-hmm. You know, there's codependency. Anger is a drug. You know, people, we can get comfortable being angry. Mm-hmm. You know, we just, we love it. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a drug and you lay up all night trying to plot and scheme and create the perfect movie on how to get even. Um, and then we, we don't go to sleep and the other person's sleeping just fine, you know? And so it's this vicious cycle, um, that, that we struggle with. Yeah. And that's, yeah, you bring up a good point too. And that was something I learned, uh, later on is that resentments, the only person that the resentments are hurting is myself and the person that I am angry at or I'm resentful. They have no idea about this. And, you know, so the only person that's being affected, and again, I talk about my ego, my ego didn't want to accept that, you know, like got me angry. I had resentment because of that fact. But when I came around and I accepted it and the acceptance prayer is one of my biggest ones. And it's one of my most helpful prayers. uh, I, again, I'm in a much better place and I'm right where I'm supposed to be. You know, you talked about also, uh, you said this word addicted to helping people, you know, what a beautiful term. And so you start reading, you're where you are and you start reading to these men, right? These incarcerated men, because they can't read or write. And you just start reading. Then you, you realize this is, this is God through you helping these men. And you know, at this point that that's why you're there. Where do you go from there to find starting to get addicted to helping people? Well, what I meant by that is, is um, I noticed that I felt good. Um, and, and I see a lot of people in recovery that, that come in and, you know, there's phases of recovery. If we're talking about 12 steps there, there's the detox phase, you know, that's where the, the newcomer is going to support group meetings and they keep coming back. You know what I mean? The, the first 30 days and they feel safe, you know, they feel like they're in a room that they can relate to people. They're also detoxing, you know, their body is, is flushing all this, you know, chemicals out. So they physically start feeling better. You know, step two is that, you know, there's a power greater than ourselves to restore us to sanity. Now the spiritual principle behind step two is hope, right? Mm-hmm. That's why I drank and did drugs. I was trying to get some hope, you know, mm-hmm. it was this false hope. But as you're detoxed, the detox phase, then there's called this honeymoon phase, which are the pink cloud, as we hear, you know, in the recovery. It it also happens for, you know, born again Christians, new Christians and all this stuff. You know, you start feeling this hope. And what a lot of it is, is we physically feel better and, and we're in a group and we're connected. We're making some friends. We're taking risks. We're being honest. We're being vulnerable. When I'm sharing, everybody in the room's head is doing this. You know what I mean? And and so, it, you know, nodding up and down. And so there's a connection and I start feeling some hope. I really feel good. This is a very, very dangerous step in early recovery, because when I start feeling hope is when it's like, you know what? I got this. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't need to go to another support group meeting today. I, I need to get out there and get back to work and I need to do this. And we start feeling this hope and or we want to go open treatment centers, or we want to go be, or have our own podcast, and we want to go be a, a, a national speaker, and we want to do all this stuff. And so we go from one, two to 12, and 12 is having had a spiritual awakening, we start sharing this message with others, right? 
And it's very dangerous. And I've seen a lot of people do it and they relapse because they don't do the self-inventory. You know, mm -hmm. they don't do four through 11 because they really, because they don't have a solution to resentment. They don't have the answer. This is why I drank. This is why I do drugs. Uh, they don't share. Uh, this is the role I played uh, in in my resentment, right? It's mm -hmm. like, wait a minute, you, you played a role in yep. your grandfather sexually abusing you, M2? Yeah, I did. And the role I played in it is I chose to hold on to the resentment, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I got to look at his childhood and look at the way he was raised and look at it through God's perspective. And, and once I did that, and so those are the things I get to share today as far as doing all the work. And when I got released, we went through these steps very quickly. We went through the traditions very quickly because, you know, I was on iHeartRadio, you know, two weeks, you know, after I was released, you know, with a year of sobriety. And so, you know, I was a target, you know, like, who's this guy? And so what I did is I kept the focus on me of this is where I'm at today. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm new in sobriety. Yes, I've worked the steps and people have gotten to watch me, you know, grow by sharing just my personal experience on that. You know, everything changed for me too when I did step four and you bring up such a, an important point, you know, like I couldn't wait to write. It was the first time I ever wrote any of this stuff down, period, right? For many of us, it's the first time we're ever taking pen to paper. And, you know, I, I remember going through this with my sponsor saying, I can't wait till he reads this so he knows what happened to me and then he'll understand, you know, still that chip on my shoulder like that, mm -hmm. that anger, it was all there. And when I had to look at things, even like you had said, you know, I saw things that, you know, eight, nine, 10 year old boys not supposed to see me that a very active dad and stuff all over the house. And, you know, so I had this, this was in my back pocket my whole entire life and, it probably led to some of my, uh, the way I behaved, right? My behaviors and my, my uh, cunning and baffling and powerfulness. I baffled everyone around me and it probably helped my disease. But I also say that hesitantly because nobody put a bottle to my lips. Nobody put a drug in my body. I did it all myself, but I wrote this stuff down and uh, I shared it with him. And to your point, what you just said, you know, what was what was my role when I was just a young little boy standing around there? You know, my role is I still hold this to this day. Right. And so I did that. And even with that, I had a hard time letting go. And I hadn't done a uh, had not done a an amends to my dad because I held on to it for so long that, you know, the amends still needs to come to me. So I wasn't there yet, Mike. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I did the amends to him. Uh, something had else had come up. I we, I had his brother-in-law, his sister's husband had passed away, and there's a whole family thing, and no one was speaking. And I went to talk to him, and I said, you know what? This is, and this is recently. This is two years ago. You know, you know, I've been sober 17 years, so I did my amends with my dad in 15 years of sobriety. That's but awesome. I went and told him, yeah, I said, listen, you know, I went there. For two reasons. One is I'm going to clear my side of the street. I'm going to clear the wreckage of the past on my side with him, but I'm going to tell him, you know, if you don't go to this wake or this funeral for your sister's husband, we used to be so tight, all of us, like, that's it. Like your nephews, you know, I'm just putting myself in their shoes. You're, you're done. There's no chance. You know, they'd love to see you there, but you know, if you don't show up for this one, you know, they're not going to, that, that, that's it. And then I said, and by the way, dad, you know, you know, I've been sober 15 years and I merely just start, I just, you know, I lost it. And I just mm -hmm. said, I'm sorry. And I'm sorry for all the stuff I did. I'm sorry for when I called you out. I'm sorry for when I threatened you. I'm sorry what happened that night at the, at the 
dog field in front of your friends. And, you know, I, I, and I, it's funny, maybe funny is not the word, right word, but it's, it's amazing how, as soon as I got there, like, honestly, as soon as I started the amends, I, I, I lost it. And, yeah. uh, lo and behold, again, stuff that I, I don't know anything like he and he and I's relationship is so much better just because of that. And it's just right. because, and he was like, you know, Gary, it's all right. Like, stop. You know, he, right. he's like, don't worry, you know, stop. And, um, you know, I bring that up because we're on the, we're on a level now. Like the, there's no, there's no BS. There's no underlying, uh, undertones that we haven't shared. It's all out. It's all kind of been done. Like we're in the same, same level playing field, if you will, if that makes sense. And, you know, you brought up there were, you brought up character defects. You know, I think I find it so funny in the big book that, you know, step six, seven, there's like, it's like not even a paragraph. It's like one, two. And I remember the first few times I was like, oh, cool. Done it with six. And then with seven, let's move on to eight. And now being sober, as long as I have, like we read this book, Drop the Rock. I'm sure you're aware of Drop yeah. the Rock. And it's all yeah. about steps in six, six, and seven. And it's right. all about my personal character defects. And we read this book. I'm in a Monday night group with a good uh, bunch of sober guys. And we read this book. We finished it. And we're like, we got to read it again. We all went right through it again. Because it's all about our character defects, which and and it's about fears. We still have all these fears, and I really love what you say that everyone has these fears, Michael. Because I'll speak for myself again. I always think, even now, it's just me. I'm the only one that thinks this way. I my thinking is abnormal. I'm an alcoholic, so no one thinks this way. Only I do. I'm I'm crazy. I'm not normal. But the truth is. We all struggle with that. And I love that that's part of your message and it's part of sort of your mission statement. That's why you can help so many people. That's a lot of good stuff you just said there. Um, in the 12-step program, I'll hear people say, you know, oh, the dreaded fourth step, the dreaded fourth step, okay? If the fourth step is is something that's dreaded for me, it's because I didn't do step three. Mm-hmm. You know, my God of my understanding is, is, is loving forgiving it doesn't take inventory you know it it it, it, no matter what i got to go into step four excited and and here's something that i want your viewers and listeners to understand when we go into step four we get to find out what we're good at Mm. we get to find out what our spiritual gifts are and how we can utilize our spiritual gifts we didn't spend much time on, you know, all the stuff that I, I did wrong. And my sponsor's like, I did that. I did that. I did that, you know, and all this right. stuff, but we get that out, you know, you know, step five, here's a church where it's confession. You know what I mean? When I confess it and I repent, which is a, a church where these words I didn't know about that I can't believe I'm saying, you know, but when we repent, it means to turn away from, right. And when we do that, we are giving God permission to show us grace. You know, mm. and that's what's so cool about it, because after step four, I got to see what I was good at character defects. I got to realize what my character defects are. We talk about relapse, you know, relapse behaviors. And I'll never forget. Uh, I was speaking to a group at a, at a treatment center and, you know, they they were doing their relapse prevention plan. And, and, I, and the counselors you know, said, what do you think about this? And I said, these guys haven't been sober eight minutes. And and you're having them do a relapse prevention plan. They're just planning the relapse. You know what I mean? But when I recognize what my character defects are, that means I am in relapse. That's recovery is I recognize this. You know, if if I am, you know, feeling resentful or 
if I cuss, you know, all the way down to that, it's like, wait a minute, where'd that come from? Why am I doing that? I'm trying to change the way I feel. Mm. You know, there's some fear there. I like this too, is that I've heard some people say, well, I don't have any resentments. You know, I don't, I don't have any. Um, and I'm going, okay, that's great. You know, good for you. But let me ask you this, who owes you an apology? Who do you think really owes you an apology? And they go, oh, okay, well, my mom owes me an apology. My wife definitely owes me an apology. You know, and they start rambling off. And I said, well, you're creating your resentment list right there. And so <laughs> I've heard that. That really helped me. And that's powerful because we don't want to look at them. 100%, right? We don't. You know, my my mother-in-law says this, and she's a civilian. She is not, uh, she, she's a normal human being, but she just said this you know, off the cuff, she said, you know, you need to be able to pass the mirror test. You need to be mm-hmm. able to look yourself in the mirror and be okay with the person that you see you're, you're staring at. Right. And that's for me, I wasn't able to pass that, that mirror test for, for years and years and years and years. And today I can, and that's just, it's such a gift to be able to look myself in the mirror and be okay with it. Because, you know, I say this a lot too, and I don't want to repeat myself to my audience, but you know, I was, I was an adult in stature, Michael, when I came in, uh, and you know, 17 plus years ago, but inside I was a scared little kid, fear of everything. And I didn't have words like integrity or responsibility or accountability. Like these are all words that I can look you in the eye and I can look anyone in the eye that at least I have those things. And these were gifts that were given to me in sobriety. And right. It's sometimes it's the smallest little thing. And I've said this so many times too, but like if the phone rings right now, I have an instant, an instant sense of really quick gratitude because I'm able to answer that phone right now. I get it. No, I get years it. And years and years. I was, when that phone rang, it was instant anxiety and fear yeah. and who knows what it was. And even in sobriety, it took me years to be able to answer. Yeah. The phone. And here yeah. I am 17 plus years in, and I am grateful sincerely every time the phone rings. Cause I know at least I can answer that phone. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, uh, I like that. And those are the cool, those are little simple things that 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 people who don't have a problem with drugs and alcohol can relate to. You see yeah. what I'm saying? Yes. Um, and it's that anxiety. So, so what are they doing to make that anxiety and all that stuff go away? They are seeking visible things to try to fix that invisible problem: mm. overeating, gambling, pornography, um, even service work. You know, I, I see a lot of people that are great people. And they'll hide behind a service work or they stay busy. You know, they're not, they're just moving all the time, moving all the time um, because they don't want to be still and be alone with themselves. I say this so freely because that's who I was. Okay. And why do I recognize it? Because I did it. I did it. You know, it's it's like, you know, I, I don't take people's inventory anymore. If I recognize something, somebody, the reason is because I did it and maybe be doing it today. You know, and I have to like go, whoa, that's me. What's the real problem here? Why am I doing these things? And so, you know, that goes back to what we we're talking about, you know, early recovery. People want to be so helpful, you know, and go out there. I've had people call me all the time or reach out, you know, hey, you know, I want to start a podcast. I want, or, you know, I want to start a show and I want to do what you're doing. Um, and I just say, well, we'll just start it, you know? Um, yeah. And so, um, but be careful, you know, be careful. It's a major responsibility. No, I, I can attest to that. Like I said, just been doing it for a short period of time, you know. Um, but you said also, I want to touch on, you know, you found out going through step four, what you were good at. So tell us, you know, you started to realize what you're good at. And so now you're taking it and you're, you know, 
running with it is uh, is a massive understatement. Tell us how you found out what you were good at and that you wanted to make this your purpose in life. One thing that we are born with um, that's a gift is willingness, okay? And willingness is is a spiritual gift that we're all born with. And I was willing to go to any length to get drunk and high. Mm-hmm. So I took that willingness, which was a character defect, and now it's an asset, okay? Now it's a spiritual gift. I'm willing to go to any length to stay clean and sober. I mean, and 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 to live these spiritual principles out, and 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 to live by faith, uh, and that's what I'm willing to do. Also, you know, I I got to look at my character defects. My biggest character defect my whole life was this mouth. You know what I mean? Mm. Was this mouth because you know I did real estate and I would hustle and and I twist the truth. You know, I'd fabricate it and. I would speak to, you know, large numbers of realtors and, and educate them on, you know, luxury high end home building and how to sell homes like that. And I was always a speaker, um, a communicator. Communication is a gift of mine. Mm. Uh, but today it's now an asset. You know, I get to use it as an asset to not speak from here, but to speak from here and to be completely transparent and, and share with others, you know, this is what I'm going through and this is what I'm learning through it, you mm-hmm. know, and, and this is, I'm seeing it through a different perspective today. Um, and those are the things that uh, are now assets uh, of what I have today. Beautiful. What would you say, what are the most biggest difficulties for newcomers coming in? What is sort of your, you know, your biggest, uh, your biggest topics people ask you about what's the most hardest thing right now? The, the hardest thing, you know, for, for a newcomer, first of all, just coming in, you mm. know, um, you know, I, I, I wasn't driving by and I saw a sign for a support group meeting and I pulled in. It was suggested to me, then it was told to me, then it was demanded to me, then it was court ordered by me, you know, to, to go to, you know, support group meeting. But when they come in, the first thing for a newcomer is to um, take the cotton out of your mouth. I'm going to take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth. You know, just sit and listen. And the sooner that they get to that real honesty of literally saying, I don't know why I drink and drug. That it, that's it. Just to admit that, you know, um, that is the most honest thing that a newcomer uh, can do. And I'm willing to go just today without a drink. You know, it's amazing when 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 I do talk to someone on the phone and they're really struggling, you know, and they want to get clean and sober and. And we start talking on the phone and then on the iPhone, when you're talking, it has the timer, you know, the, the clock that's ticking. Right? right. And so they're sharing and they finally say, I don't know. And we start talking and I don't give advice. I provide suggestions, you know, and I say, this is what's working for me. And as they're sharing and I'm telling I can relate, you know, I can totally relate. I get it. I totally can relate. And as they're sharing and open it up and I'll say, Hey, can I stop you for a second? They go, yeah. And I said, I'm looking at my phone and we've been on the phone for 12 minutes and 15 seconds. Now, 16 seconds, now 17 seconds. I said, have you thought about drinking in the last 12 minutes and 20 seconds? They go, no. (laughs) I said, do you feel just a little bit better than you did 12 minutes and now 42 seconds ago? They said, yeah. I said, that's hope and that's faith. Because right now you're out of self and you're experiencing something that's a lot bigger than you that's staying sober. So get to a support group meeting. 
um, and go put your you know butt in the chair and listen to that. And they just love it. They, they, they just kind of get some because I feel better, you know, you know, when I go to a support group meeting, if it's a six o'clock meeting, you know, if they call on me first, I pass because it takes about six fifteen till I get I, I get out of self. You know, I start feeling better at about six eighteen. <laughs> I love that, you know, because that's really what it is. And, and we touched upon it earlier that you know we weren't raised to to talk things out, and that's the mantra of my of the Begin Again podcast is to help one person today, right? To let them know that they're not alone that they don't have to live this way anymore and that they completely can, can completely change their life around. But most and, importantly, it's keeping you sober. But that that's the added benefit, right? It yeah. is. It's a thing of service. And it's, I laugh again because I had gone through this, you know, I don't help enough. I, I need to help more people. You know, my sponsee roster is not big enough, which again, that's kind of, that's an ego boosting thought, right? Like I want more, I want to be able to help more people. I want to have more sponsees. And this podcast came and now it's, it has the chance to having speaking to people like you to, again, help one person today. And I say that hopefully we have, this thing's going to grow really big and we're going to help more than one person. And you are helping people every single day. So, but where do we find you today? Where, tell us where M2 is today and where is M2 going? I got to say something really quick, Gary, Please, is that it reminds me. So I, this answers some of the questions. So, you know, we do, we do radio tours and I'm on radio shows, you know, all over the country, you know, being interviewed you know, and with Fox news and um, ESPN and, you know, these really cool platforms. And mm. I did a radio interview with um, ESPN uh, recently. And the guy says, you know, what's the cure for addiction, drug addiction? And is there a cure for alcoholism? I said, I don't know, but I know there's a solution. And he says, well, do you have that answer? And I said, absolutely. And they went to a commercial break and then they came back and they said, now everybody get ready because M2 The Rock is going to provide the solution to drug addiction and alcoholism. And I said, the solution is very simple. It's one addict working with another. Mm. It's one alcoholic working with another. It's men working with men, women work with women, and it will change the entire outcome of this epidemic. You know, you could put a wall around the whole country. Okay. I'm still getting high, you know, because the problem is the addict. Okay. It's not people bringing the drugs in. The problem isn't me, mm. you know, and until I get honest and, and the way we, we resolve that is one addict working with another one alcoholic working with another. As far as what we're doing, we, we just signed on with a, uh, a big firm out of Baltimore. And, and as we speak, uh, we're going to be launching to even more of a national level with, you know, major uh, newscast and into the rock being a correspondent, kind of a go-to guy on addiction recovery. And I'm going to be providing solutions, talking about recovery, you know, talk, not talking about stats, you know what I mean? Right. Every day, you know, thousand people die a day of fentanyl and all this stuff, you know, I'm tired of hearing that. Yeah. Somebody needs to be a voice of recovery. What's the solution? You know, what do we do? You know, how do we tackle these, these things? And, you know, the only thing that does work is and this is why the courts all over the country, they court order, you know, people in drug courts to go to support group meetings. Why? Number one, it doesn't cost the state money. And number two, it works. And so we need to carry that message out, you know, for and I challenge anybody who's not anonymous, you know, um, you know, to reach out and, and, and to share your story, you know, get it out there, 
you know, to provide hope for the hopeless. You can reach us at um, m2therock.com. You know, that's m2therock.com. Our new website will be launched um, here in a couple of days. And um, we're on all the social media platforms and we're providing content, you know, daily. And as a matter of fact, today we meet with our film crew and we're, we're starting filming today and, and releasing all sorts of new content uh, for people. Amazing. And I love you touched upon the epiphany of the forefathers of the big book, right? That they they realized in 1938, I believe it was, that one alcoholic working with another alcoholic is the solution, right? And that is sort of the the premise of your entire thing, and which I think is completely beautiful. And you, you've touched upon something we talked on the phone uh, this morning, which I love is you know, I would love, I want to focus on the solution. We could have talked all day about, you know, how bad it was and the, the drunk logs and all the places we've been. And I didn't for once didn't even mention what places I've been just not repeat it. I want to live in the solution and that's what yeah. the show's about. And that's what you're about. And so it's M to the rock.com, correct? M to the rock.com. Um, and this is who I am today. I'm not that man anymore. Like when you made amends to your father, Hey dad, I'm not that man anymore. You know, that's not who I am anymore. Um, and, but I, I don't even have to say it. You know what I mean? It's, it's, um, I'm a Christian, you know, and, and I, and I should, I very rarely say, I, in fact, I never say that. And the reason why I'm saying that on your platform is that I don't announce that. Right. You know, I don't announce that. I, I don't need to, you know, I want people to see it. I want people to see it in my actions and the way I carry myself because they go, I just want someone to go, I want what he's got. You know, I want what he's got. You know, how are you doing it? It's real simple. You know, I go to support group meetings. I, I've worked the 12 steps. I call my sponsor and it's that simple. And when I get in the fear, I pick up the phone and that's it. That's simple for complicated for men and women, right? Which I totally relate to, but exactly. you're doing amazing work. I so are you. Enough. Thank you. Thank I you. appreciate it. And you know, it's, we're in this niche, right? Where there can't be enough of us. Like right. you, know, you hear these words like, oh, it's a saturated market. Our market, where cannot be enough of us. And I say us, you know, it's it's a pleasure to be side by side, shoulder to shoulder with you. You're doing amazing, amazing work. I can't wait to follow you. I can't wait to stay in t- contact with you. Yeah, absolutely. This way, we're going to get hooked up when I'm down your way. I am going to come. Uh, we're going to see each other in person. And it's just a pleasure. I, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your story, your hope. It's all about hope m2therock.com follow them find them we all are and it's not just for it's for all aspects of like practicing these principles in all of our affairs all of it let me i'll end with this real quick the disease has saturated the market right Mm. it has saturated the market it's time for recovery to saturate the market amen i couldn't think of a better way to end on that one amen to that amen Thank you so much, Michael. I Thank appreciate you. you coming. I can't wait to look forward to you and keep doing up, keep doing all the hard work, brother. Appreciate it. God bless you, my friend. And God bless you, bud. Take care. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you for tuning in to another powerful episode of the Begin Again podcast. We sincerely appreciate your time and support. We hope that today's conversation has ignited a spark within you, affirming that recovery is not only attainable, but can also be a wellspring of strength and resilience. 
Our ultimate goal is to make a difference in someone's life every single day. By sharing these stories of redemption, we strive to empower you and inspire you to unlock your fullest potential, facilitate positive transformations, and contribute to creating a better future for yourself, for your loved ones, and the world at large. If you know someone who could benefit from listening to our show, please share it with them. And if you resonate with our mission and feel compelled to do so, we would greatly appreciate your support through a five-star review, following us on Instagram, and subscribing to our YouTube channel, The Begin Again Podcast. The more positive reviews we receive and the wider our message spreads, the greater our collective ability to help others realize that change is possible in their own lives. Thank you once again for being a part of our community. May you be blessed on your own journey of personal growth and transformation.